While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Thanks, Julie, for that reading. And also fun to celebrate some of the um, beautiful things that have been happening in our community by watching that video with new life um, and marriage. And so we celebrate with you, um, those of you who also couldn't tell your story in this moment, but still have those stories of celebration. We celebrate with you and the different things that have been happening over the last um, few weeks. My name is Heather Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here and this is Johnny Morrison also one of the pastors here at Missio. And today we celebrate Easter. And as um, David already said, he's risen. He's, he's risen, risen indeed. indeed. Um, we ask ourselves, why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate resurrection? Why specifically do we celebrate Christ's resurrection? What does an Easter celebration say to us, specifically in the middle of a global pandemic? where we can't be together in person and we collectively join in this moment in our households, what does um, resurrection mean to us in this moment? Jesus, as Julie read, um, after his death and burial, um, comes back to life as depicted in the Gospel of Luke. And he's back with his friends. And he comes into their midst and he says, peace be with you. And they see him and naturally they're startled. It says in the text that they're startled and so much so that they believe that they've seen a ghost. And we kind of have to say to ourselves like, of course, it's of fair. course, right? <laughs> they have literally just witnessed him die. And it was a graphic, horrific death. And so in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39, Jesus says to them after he eats with them, or actually before, but he eats with them and he says before in verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I do. And there are huge implications in this moment of Jesus having his flesh and bones. 
there's a physical resurrection that resurrection is pointing to. And that means that there's a hope for that which is physical, for that which is now, the things that we experience now. If Jesus has his flesh and bones, then that means that resurrection is not only a spiritual reality that's coming. It's a physical hope. And that means it's a hope for the whole world. And, that, and it's always been that hope. As Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples in that moment, his death and resurrection are the fulfillment of Old Testament promises, as he says through the book of Moses and the law and the prophets. He explains to them how that hope has always been alive in the text and in the heart of God. And the biblical hope, the word there, forgiveness of sins, is about total redemption of the world. And I think sometimes we fail to grasp that, grasp the, the, the brevity of that. N.T. Wright says this about Easter morning. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. Easter means that in a world where there is injustice, violence and degradation that is endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things, but implements the victory of Jesus over them all. And that is the significance of resurrection. Jesus' flesh and bones point to hope for the whole world. And the resurrection underlines and highlights the fact that what we do here matters. And it reshapes how we see and engage the whole world around us. Jesus is resurrected and then his disciples are called into a work. To witness to all that Jesus is and does through the power of the coming spirit. Verses 48 and 49. And so what God is going to do for all creation, he started in Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus is the first fruit of new creation. The spirit is the energy for that recreation, the making of all things new. And so Easter means that in a world of injustice and violence and disease that are endemic, that God is not okay to tolerate such things that he won't tolerate such things and he responds with resurrection and he empowers us with that same power and energy of resurrection so that when we love and when we lament when we serve and when we tell people about Jesus when we drop things off on people's doorsteps when we plant trees or we work on vaccines, or we adopt people into our homes, or we create beauty, or we dance, or we sing, or we celebrate, and we eat, we are bringing the signs of new creation into the midst of a weary world, which is what we need. And so we become the people through whom the newness and life of resurrection continues to be brought to earth as it is in heaven. 
That is the power and significance of Jesus having his flesh and bones. Now when Jesus appears physically with his flesh and bones, he is the precursor or the first fruit of all the things that Heather just said. But that is huge news. That's monumental news that shapes and changes everything and says something to the cosmos and to the universe and to every single person living in it. And so just like the disciples are startled, they also just struggle to comprehend how big this story of resurrection is, how big the hope of a physical renewal is. And so what does Jesus do in order to talk to the disciples and to prove his resurrection? What does he do? What does he show them? What does he say? And in the text, it shows us that he shows to the disciples his hands and his feet. Now, the Gospel of Luke does not record exactly what the disciples saw. But in a very famous moment from John's Gospel, where you have this conversation with Thomas, who like doubts the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas says that I will only believe if I see the nails in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hands into his side. And then later John records that when Jesus shows up to him and shows himself to Thomas, what he reveals is that Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. To prove the point of his resurrection, Jesus shows the disciples his scars, which is so weird, right? Like, I, I guess if I'm thinking about resurrection, if I'm the, the creator of all things, and I'm like, I'm going to do a resurrection work, I would heal my scars. I would heal the damage and the destruction and the hurt that my body has endured. And I think that's kind of generally how we, like modern Christians and modern people, think about renewal and resurrection and healing and wholeness. It is the elimination of scars. I think you can see this in just the way that we approach pain or hardship or difficulty in all spaces. Like Our cultural strategy is to cover scars. It's to hide pain and hardship. It's to downplay it. In Christianity, it's to cover it in religious language, to lessen the blow of it or the intensity of it. And we do this all the time in our own lives. We attempt to present idealized pictures of ourselves or our families or our struggles to the world around us. Even this week, one of our national leaders said that once we're done with COVID-19, we should forget that it ever happened. And so we do it on that level, and I think we are most guilty of doing it in the church. It's like we believe that our scars are sources of shame or even that Jesus's scars might be sources of shame there's this famous uh, Marx quote which people often use talking about religion which is that religion is the opiate of the masses and this is what he's criticizing which is that religion so often covers over pain and hardship and maybe in a moment that offers an opiate to the pain and the hardship but in the long run hiding Ignoring or covering wounds and scars leads to dissonance and additional pain. And I think many of us have experienced it, who've grown up in the church or grown up in religious environments. We experience a religious experience that tries to hide our woundedness. We experience a religious tradition that, that forces us into the game of perfection, of hiding and covering and ignoring our scars or the worlds around us. 
And for many of us, I think that leads to a deconstruction of our faith or a rejection of it all together. But the good news of this moment, when Jesus is resurrected and he shows himself to the disciples, is that Jesus does not hide his scars. He shows them as the very proof of his resurrection. When the disciples question and doubt that this is actually Jesus, that the hope that he's proclaiming, that the news that he's delivering, that the story he's telling is true, Jesus shows them his scars. Because his scars tell a story. A story of love and of sacrifice. Of Jesus truly taking on all that it means to be human, of enduring the cross, and of eventually defeating death and offering redemption. His scars tell that story. In our modern notions of resurrection, I think we so miss that piece. That the scars of Jesus tell a full and beautiful story. I think our, our, our modern notion of resurrection is more like if you break a vase in your house, I think in like, this is at least what I would do, I would just buy a new vase. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would, or maybe if I was trying to fix it, I would like get like really clear glue and I would put it all together and then I would get disappointed in my project and I would throw it away and then I would Amazon a new vase to myself. <laughs> and I think that's actually a uniquely kind of Western approach to wholeness or resurrection. But there is this ancient Japanese form of mending pottery and it's called kintsuki. And instead of breaking or throwing away or destroying a vase, you remend it using gold to fill in the cracks. And the end product of a repaired vase with gold is something that is more beautiful than ever was before. Because it tells a story. That's how the story of Jesus' resurrection works. The cracks and the scars that have been filled with grace tell a story of beautiful redemption. And as this is true of Jesus, this is true of us. That our scars tell a story of pain and heartbreak and love and sacrifice, of our attempts to move towards people and feeling wounded, of our attempts to, to choose our own kingdom over Jesus's and finding that it is empty and hollow. It tells a story of human frailty. And most importantly, our scars tell a story of a God who fills the broken places with grace, resurrecting masterpieces that tell a beautiful story of redemption. And it's that beautiful story of redemption that we celebrate today around our tables, this Easter. And as we do that, we not only celebrate what God has done, what he is currently doing in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our moments of celebration, but we also point to a reality that we hope for and anticipate. And the biblical hope of the redemption that Johnny was just talking about is that that this world, the beginning here and now, that that redemption is taking place in lots of different and unique and beautiful ways through his spirit, but that there is a full, whole redemptive reality that is coming in his kingdom. And resurrection points to that ultimate um, redemption and renewal that we will share with him in his kingdom. And we are already kingdom people and we're ready for the final kingdom. And that's what our tables will tell today as we eat together. This week we prayed on Thursday evening and Monday Thursday 
There was a number of us that got together on Zoom. Um, we're thankful for those kind of platforms that we can still stay connected in this moment. And we spent some time lamenting, lamenting the things that have been happening in our current moment and things that we hold heavily and weighty of inequity and people not having food and racism and these things that are hurtful and broken. And we spent time lamenting those things and then we prayed the words from Psalm 145. We prayed for God's kingdom and that, these, that the kingdom of who Christ is and his redemptive reality would break in. And in that psalm, it talks about how God is near to all, that he's compassionate and that he's faithful, that he's loving, that God is a God of equity, that everyone has enough food. And these are all the things that after our lament we were able to declare are true of the kingdom of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the goodness of God, that that is true in his kingdom. And so around our Easter tables today, that's what we anticipate. We celebrate what is a current reality and we anticipate the fulfillment of that reality. The fulfillment of what this day represents, resurrection. And the renewal of all things. Do we anticipate this moment to come? And the moment that we participate in now helps us anticipate what is to come. There's this uh, beautiful C.S. Lewis quote from his story, The Weight of Glory, which I think just captures this really well. He writes, quote, The faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the world, are what we now call physical pleasures, and even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. Meaning that when we eat something that is good, when we love, when we enjoy, we are experiencing the echoes of God's creative intentions in the universe. That there is actually like a natural grain to the universe, and when we experience it, enjoy it, delight in it, we are moving along with the grain. But he goes on to say, quote, But what would it be like to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. The whole person is to drink from the fountain of joy. So that moment here when we gather around the table or when we love so well or we enjoy so deeply, he's like, it is good and it is right. And the better that it is, the more it calls us outward to the source of our joy and our hope, which is the total redemption, the total resurrection of all things. And as Heather said, there's literally nowhere better to practice this and experience it than today on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we gather around our tables and we take communion and we sing songs and we tell the story of our God being alive. Hmm. And it will be good and joyous and right even in this moment where we're separated from one another and we can't celebrate in the way we thought we would. It still is good and beautiful. But it is even better because it calls us outwards to look towards the source of our joy, our ultimate resurrection. And so, Missio, as you celebrate today, here's the, here's the whole ask of this moment. Would you go big? As we celebrate today, <laughs> would you low-ride deep, go big, 
Blast those tunes, which you celebrate as much as you possibly can. Go as big as you possibly can. Today is worth celebrating. Eat and drink deeply, especially in the midst of COVID-19. And let it draw you towards the culmination of all things, the ultimate hope of resurrection that Jesus is the first fruit of, but he isn't the final harvest of. Let it draw you towards the harvest of hope. This is what we need. This is what we need in this moment. Like as we just wrestle with this reality, it's what our world needs around us. And it is our job today to go as big as we can to tell the story of Jesus to our own hearts and to our families and to the world around us. So Missio, today on Resurrection Sunday, celebrate big. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're alive. That today we get to celebrate your resurrection. That it is physical and it is embodied and it is material. And that means that what we do right here matters. That the suffering of this moment is not absent, it's not hollow, it's not fake. It doesn't get covered over or hidden. No, you care. And you've called us into a life of similar embodied care. So God, thank you that your resurrection is for us in this moment, right now. And God, thank you that it also points us to something bigger beyond us, that instills us with hope, that wraps our narrative and envelops it in redemption, and that reminds us that even the best of this moment is just a foreshadow of what is to come. And so God, as we celebrate today, as we practice resurrection, draw us towards the ultimate hope, the resurrection of you in all things. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.